person. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. It's Monday night. Gen- Everybody's got a furball stuck in this. Everybody's got a furball. Um, welcome. It's Monday night. Generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And my goodness, uh, how many different stories can we possibly have happen? There's a lot of time? things that just happened today. Yeah, but of course, we couldn't have picked a better night to speak with somebody who knows a thing or two about the stories that get covered and the stories that don't get covered. But one thing I just want to show you, I have this queued up. I don't know if you saw the thing More Perfect Union did about what's going down with the Supreme Court case that oh, could potentially... Um, for labor. Yeah, it could... It, it, if this case goes in the very anti-labor di- direction, essentially employers will be able to sue them for striking for their lost for like damages. Damn Republicans. It's not, a, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, that's why I have the video queued up because they can explain it a lot better well, than I can. Well, because ultimately everything good. is all about just stopping labor. That's, right. But this is, is just one of those big things. And because it's not as sexy to like sort of like the the neoliberal white people. Like it's just not as sexy as like Roe versus Wade. It doesn't get that kind of attention and nobody's really talking about this. Well, as I say in corporate media, if it bleeds, it leads. But if anybody knows a thing or two about what is actually permitted to get on the air, because we all know that a lot of the things that are of great importance never do. And the things that are of complete irrelevance are always the central it's focus. That. Oh, Ben, will you go push on that RoboCop thing until it stops? Double K, great to see you. Thank you so much as always. So without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome. See how that frame, just touch it. No. Yeah, it's my my stupid poster. It's his RoboCop poster. RoboCabby is what it's called. And it's really cool. When we have a camera that could be adjusted, we could just show you exactly what's in the Which we will be getting soon because we are going. Rotating camera. Well, no, it'll be a second camera. And we're going to actually soon be starting up. We told you guys we are going to be starting the Gen Z report with Jaden D'Onofrio. Gen Z with a J. It'll, it okay, all matters. fine. But um, we're going to be starting that and we're going to be using a different vantage point in the studio and a different sort of seating arrangement for his for his show. And so we will be having a rotating camera. So you can show people this ridiculous picture. Diversification. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> She's a former producer at MSN, MSDNC, I guess we call it. Anything that's corporate uh, media, not so lovely. But that's funny, MSDNC. Former, former producer at MSNBC, <laughs> certainly knows a thing or two about the ins and outs of corporate media, what is and isn't allowed to make it to the air, and certainly <clears throat> the issues that we talk about on the regular. And notice how it's former, because all the good people can't be there anymore. Plausible deniability. Uh, Ariana Peccary, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Great, great. Likewise, I, I'm excited to, to join you and talk about all these issues. And yes, I'm, I'm former producer um, for, for, very, for very specific reasons. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, would you talk about that a little bit? Like specifically, I mean, obviously you were there for a while. You noticed how that goes and it just obviously something happened that pushed you over the edge where you're like, yeah, I can't do this anymore here. Yeah, I had been a producer in um, public radio for many years and, um, you know, producing live news, live call-in shows, um, radio documentaries, the whole gambit. And um, I ended up getting hired at MSNBC rather accidentally. Um, I was hired to work on a specific show that ended up getting canceled, but I just moved to New York and signed a lease. So I kind of tried to make the most of it while I was there. And um, ended up working on a primetime show. Um, the first few years were very frustrating for me. I was constantly pitching stories and guests and ideas. Um, 
and uh, it, had, it struggled a bit. The more I was there, I ended up getting some seniority and was in the, the, the meetings. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we hear you. It's just, it's kind of like, it's blurry. And it, and I'm wondering if, and I hate to like not have video because I always prefer to have video, but I'm wondering if you turn off video, if it's any better. And if it's not, then just keep it. I mean, we can hear you. It's just kind of okay. like, it's, it's a little choppy. That's fine. I'm kind of, I don't have great internet service out here. But let me, um, if where I hit, are you? I'm in Arizona. Okay. Um, so, uh, stop cam. Is see that- what happens. Sometimes if you, if you turn, yeah. Now let's see how you sound. Okay. Does it sound better now? Can you hear me? I don't know. I don't think, do you notice a difference? Not necessarily. All right. Uh, no, that doesn't make a difference. Run, we don't yeah. obviously run the risk of losing connection. No, no, that's so fine. Just keep, conti- I'm sorry. No, keep going. We hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, I had been, I was at MSNBC for oh, seven years. The first few years, like, were frustrating for me. And then I gained some seniority and was in the, the planning meetings with the um, executive producer um, where we were deciding, you know, what is going in the rundown that night. And that's where I really under, came to understand how the editorial decisions are made on a daily basis. And um, it's terribly simplistic. They really are just going for what they think is going to rate the best. Even, if, even when that went against their own journalistic instincts and skills and knowledge. So these people, I know that they, they are, you know, I think they're good people. Um, they're just doing their jobs. And, and it's because of the way that the the, um, the industry is set up. Um, they're trying to get people in front of the TV. So they, they're constantly dumbing down the material, trying to go for the lowest common denominator. And um, whatever will... You know, for the most part, whatever is going to keep people in front of the TV is what is going to drive those decisions. And they base that on, on the ratings that we get every day for, you know, the, the numbers are broken down by quarter hour. Um, some numbers are, are more specific than that. And they will look at and see what did well the day before and then change the rundown based on that. Um, what did well and what did do well. So it was a pretty simplistic editorial process. Um, and 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 over time, I came to see how that really distorted coverage. Um, it, it, I feel like it dumped, um, you know, the polarization that we've seen throughout the country. So whatever was red meat was what, what really um, would would keep people watching. So they they would focus on those types of topics um, at the expense of real information that is useful to people. And, you know, there well, that could be scientific s- stories coming out. It could be, um, you know, real information about topics. You know, d- you know, 2020, I saw them start to ignore, you know, science reports about COVID. Um, that, that stuff just got buried at the expense of, you know, the politics of the day. So um, that's what drove my decision to resign in July 2020. And so then where did you go? Like, what was, I mean, obviously you want to still keep doing like actual journalism. Like there's definitely a need for it that isn't corporate owned. I mean, ultimately to me, that's the problem. Like there's people in at the top of the food chain that are going to make decisions based on, you know, shareholders and profits. And that's obviously not necessarily what's in the best interest of general public. So, you know, like, so where, where do you go from there? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, and, and I, I, you know, I struggled for a couple of years before I actually resigned with, you know, if I, and I know I didn't want to do that anymore, but where do I go? And I knew I did to some other newsroom where the incentive structure was essentially the same. So there could be other um, cable channels, there could be other network news channels, anything that, that you know, and, and as I started asking around, everybody said that they were up against the same pressures and, and it was going to be the same story wherever I went. So I know I had been warned, you know, don't resign and certainly don't go public with what, what you think here because you'll never work in another newsroom again. Well, you know, knowing what I knew, I didn't want to go work in another newsroom like that. Um, you know, I worked in public radio for a long time and I loved it. Um, every day. I mean, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, I feel like it's much better than what you're seeing on, in, on cable TV news, certainly. Um, but I also, knowing what I knew, it was hard for me to walk away from that problem and not try to address it somehow. So exactly. that's kind of where, that's kind of where I am. Um, it's been a frustrating endeavor. <laughs> you know, it's been yeah. about two years and there are many forces, you know, trying to keep the status quo as it is. Um, and it's a combination of people who are um, uh, comfortable with the status quo. They might be apathetic about the status quo. You know, there's nothing that you can do. Um, and a, a nasty mix of cynicism. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it, that is contagious. And so there have been times when I, I understand that, that sentiment, but I'm not there. And so I'm, I'm still, you know, I've kind of taken a long view on this and it's something that will take time. Um, but eventually I think that we can come around to a different, you know, understanding and then, and then solutions will happen after that. I'm just curious what kind of projects you would work on. Like what kind of, like if you could be covering what you want to be covering and really, you know, you know, putting that information out there, like, let's say that I was able to wave the fairy wand and have this amazingly cool, really badass, independent, uncensored sort of like news situation that was just really good and, and content creator run and all this stuff. Like, what would you be, what would you be focusing on? I, well, I, I personally, after working in, um, nonprofit news for as long as I did, I feel like it's gotta be a nonprofit model. Yeah. Um, how you do sure. that is, you know, um, that's, that's the challenge. You know, do you go to a public model, um, and rely on, on funding from the public? Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, because there are, you know, you know, right now there's NPR, which again, I, I, you know, certainly have high regard for, um, PBS barely has any news yeah. on it. There's, you know, there's a news hour. Um, I think, you know, and, and, Public media in the United States has been, um, you know, basically starved from its inception. You know, it's never never really been funded properly. Um, by so, design. Sorry. By design. By design. That's what no, we exactly. no, it's like one. Because initially, for media, the outlets at that point, they said, yeah. they raised their hand. They were like, no, 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 trust us. We'll take care of this. If you give us access to the airwaves in, in, in return, we're going to give a public service, which is the news. And and that worked to a certain degree for, for many years. But then that obvious, obviously that system eroded and uh, it's just gone. It's in a downward cycle now. So, yeah. So if I had my choice, I would like to see, you know, broadcast journalists doing what they do best. And the people who I work with in cable, they're really smart. You know, they were like firefighters. They could, you know, they were smart and fast and they could turn around stories, uh, you know, really quickly. And I have a lot of respect for them. Um, but 
again, they are doing the job that they're paid to do and they're evaluated um, on that basis. And they're, they're trying to keep their jobs, they have families, they have mortgages. And again, where else are you going to go? So um, I would like to see a nonprofit network with some name recognition so that people like, you know, I've got family members who, you know, they know the networks. They don't necessarily know to dig or, you know, what can they trust? Um, so I think it has to be somewhat, some sort of a network that has a name recognition that the general public um, can is familiar with. And, um, but also, you know, no, nothing like that right now exists. I mean, no. the coverage needs to be much more diverse um, and it needs to reflect the country. And there, you know, there isn't really an outlet that, that looks like the entire country, whether that's urban or rural with all different regional accents and, and issues that are important. Um, I was particularly frustrated this morning. I happened to listen to the New York times, the daily podcast, and they kind of had a rundown on the speakership from, you know, what happened last week. And I've been following that mostly online. Um, I haven't been watching much television lately. And, um, I, you know, I, I obviously knew what was going on and, then I listened to this podcast and I heard about Chip Roy and what he, what his contingent was asking for um, in the negotiation, you know, over the speakership, you know, he's a Republican from Texas and I'm, you know, I might differ from him on, on a number of subjects, but there were things that I felt like were somewhat reasonable what they were asking for, you know, waiting 72 hours, you know, after a bill is published before, legislators actually vote on it, like giving people time to read material before they actually vote on it. Things kind of, you know, that, that's a, to me is a reasonable request. I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't have the ins and outs, but that, and I didn't get any of that in the coverage that I was reading and watching last week. It was all about, you know, kind of the, you know, what is the MAGA contingent doing? And what is, you know, what does Donald Trump have to say about this? And it, it was all based on this kind of, and again, it goes, you know, it's the same type of coverage that we've seen, the horse race coverage that we've seen without actually giving us, you know, more detail that is act, that is useful. And the conversation I felt like had been more about, you know, this is a one example. If there had been more coverage of these other issues, that is important discussion that is important debate to be having. People would have been more informed and we might have, you know, the outcome last week might've been better, whatever that is. But at this point, um, too much, you know, backroom horse trading happened. And, um, you know, because there, because of the trade that's going on over here, um, it, it was just more of the same as far as I'm concerned. And, and that's exactly what we don't need. Um, so I'd like to see a place, and, I, and, and again, I think that there is hunger and desire, desire for that material, um, which is why, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, the Daily Podcast is extremely popular um, as a podcast, and its its audience is mostly young people, um, so they take, you know, there is a hunger and a desire for information, like real information that's useful to people. Um, and I'd like to see more. Yeah. Same. Uh, do we want to maybe try a, um, 
I, I can tell Ariana, the conversation is excellent, but the the connection is gotten even more spotty than before. I'm wondering, do you think uh, it might make sense to reset your router and try to hop back on? I mean, we're not going anywhere. Or do it on your phone. Sometimes yeah. it's better oh, on yeah. your phone. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, if you just click the link on your on your cell phone. Sometimes it's better that yeah. way. Yeah, that might okay. work. Sure, I can try that. Awesome. So should I... Stop this connection. We're going to bounce well, you out. And then as soon as you got that link, jump on your phone. Let's see if it's better there. Because I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's like I, a bevy of activity in the chat. What is going on over there? Yeah. Seriously, guys, look. I see Mario this here. Is and Mario, we did do the Seinfeld hello. We wait as long as we can. We can't wait for you every time just to do it. You're going to have to go back and, and stop. And stop saying Jan. It's getting really annoying. I don't know why you say Jan. It's it's Jen. <laughs> like I'm not like a I'm not like a stickler for that shit. But, but he I, calls I really you know. Pedro. I don't know. I just oh, thought I it was pro, like I vote for Pedro. I, I know, but I just think it's sort of like his nicknames for us is Jan and Pedro. And listen, Miss Zeitgeist. I, look. I understand. I, I don't want Jimmy Dore to be the spokesperson for the left movement. So you have to ignore what Jimmy does and focus on what the actual value is to what we're trying to do. And this conversation is just getting started. <laughs> Welcome back, Ariana Peccari to Generational Change. Thank you. Is, uh, does this look and sound a little bit better than it did it's spotty, but it's spotty, gonna... but it's better. It's better. That's Where that. are you? Are you like in the desert somewhere? Oh, she's in, area, she in, she's in, she's in area 51. That's where she is. Well, I'm in Sedona, Arizona right now. And, um, we're, yeah, but we have the internet, free. but it's, so. it's spotty, but because you're at the spiritual vortex of the universe, the spiritual <laughs> vortices of the universe there are in Sedona. Yeah. I have been there. It It's real. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, go ahead. You have like some stuff you want to get into. Uh, Ariana, you were at MSNBC for a while. Um, we're well aware of the things that were transpiring, particularly in 2016. There was a deliberate attempt to uh, stall as long as humanly possible regarding Bernie Sanders' message. Uh, we saw what came out in the uh, WikiLeaks files regarding uh, the different activities that were going on behind the scenes. Is it basically just a deliberate attempt on the part of the organization to basically squash any type of uh, pro-labor, anti-corporate message that will resonate with working people? Because it seems to me that the, especially today, and especially what's evolved over the last five plus years, is that the MSNBC demographic is almost exclusively upper middle class suburbia and maybe urban uh you know, type of uh, viewers. There's very, very specific uh, audience that it caters to today. And maybe it's just the downward spiral that is corporate media. But it seems to me that this was sort of an inevitable result of their attempts to silence the pro-labor, the, pr the pro-worker message that Bernie was conveying starting in the summer of 2015. And it's just kind of continued ever since I'm kind of curious as to what your perspective is and if it really is just a matter of them deciding, well, we can't have this kind of message get out because it's bad for our bottom line. It's a, it was a combination of things. I was there through all of that and um, it was very frustrating for me inside the building and <laughs> not having just taking power. Um, uh, I can say, I think there were a combination of reasons. There were, you know, I don't know that there were a top-down edict 
you know, cover Bernie Sanders necessarily because you would see him on certain shows. I think Chris Hayes would have him on. Um, I know that we had Bernie Sanders on our show, which was the last four months O'Donnell numerous times, and he never agreed to come on. Um, you know, that's prerogative. I think there were, um, but at, at the same time, we weren't really dedicating a lot of time to covering Bernie Sanders and politics thoroughly well. Um, a lot of time, the coverage of the Democratic primary that, that year, starting in 2015, was really non-existent um, on MNBC. Uh, there, you know, starting in July 2015, after Donald Trump came on the scene, and start, they realized at first he was a joke, realized, okay, he's rating well. Pretty much our entire rundown was dedicated to some, uh, some form of dog material. You know, they would start, you know, they would start off, you know, early in the day planning meant to, to discuss the somehow. It would be a short segment in the back half of the show, usually. By the time we got to 10 o'clock at night, that evening, that would have been bumped off. Um, there was no coverage of, of, you know, what was going on on the trail. Uh, very little of it. They would do a video montage, but there was no discussion about what, you know, getting into the policy. And um, uh, they are afraid of losing audience if they have a real discussion about policy. I think there's more of that than there is about the actual policy. It's so. Someone like Andrew had the idea about, you know, universal basic income. He that never got coverage. So Andrew Yang did not get coverage because it was too confused. That was too big of a topic in their minds to fit into a segment that's either three minutes or six minutes. You know, kind of a, a long segment on 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 cable news is. You know, I don't remember doing much outside eight minutes. That was a lot of time dedicated to a single subject, and so to try to cram all that information into a short segment, you don't feel like they're going to like be able to keep the audience. Um, I personally have an opinion on that. I think people are naturally curious and if they're learning something, they are going to continue to watch. But that, that, that was a force also going against anybody who has a new idea. It, it's a uphill battle to get that on cable news. You know, they, you know, they rely on these narratives um, and, you know, um, I think Bernie Sanders got some attention because he was an outsider. And so there will be some coverage of, you know, I, you know, Bernie Sanders, the outsider and Donald Trump as the outsider. Um, but when it came to talking about policy, they just they really didn't. You know, they, they would say, don't too much in the weeds on this. If you're producing a segment um, and there was some policy involved, they would just like keep it, you know, headline level. And it, like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard them say, don't get too much, too, di- too deep in the yeah, weeds on this. But it did seem yeah. to me that there were a number of hosts over the years that especially were leaning uh, on the pro-worker left. Did Ed Schultz not get fired? Ed Schultz, Phil Donahue, uh, Dylan yeah. Radigan. Well, that and that, well, Phil Donahue is more of an anti-war thing, I think. They can't have sure. an anti-war yes. he, he was an anti-war. That was the, that was, what was his downfall. Uh, and it was pretty yeah, there, no, there are the corporate interests. Um, those conversations say, you know, the Phil Donahue, I wasn't there for that. I've been in missions. Um, but I do know, like, you know, 
at one point during the 2016 primary between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, we were told, you know, you know, from upper management to give Donald Trump a down the middle joke, like essentially be fair to him in a discussion about, you know, being commander in chief, for example, which, you know, is go easy on Donald Trump because giving him a down the middle of the book is, you know, he, you know, he has no experience, you know, whatsoever on that. So it's like, they um, totally didn't give me a fair shake. They were really terrible people, Ariana. I totally hate them. Really, really bad, really terrible people. And I still want anyway, despite their crap. I've, it's ironic how Mario, while you do the Trump impersonation, comes on and says he misses our bootlicker segment. It's like somehow Trump reminded him of bootlicker. You know, we have so many of these stories that were just sort of endless. And it's like the people who don't understand, for example, the nonstop coverage of Russiagate is really just a different form of Cold War coverage. It's just a way to keep the narrative going to scare people into thinking, you know, you know, the red monsters under your bed, so to speak. Well, it makes sense to have a trillion dollar uh, war budget then. That makes sense then, because we have to be, because we're so scared of them. Ariana, I think you would be one of the best people to talk about um, this topic that could take up, frankly, the rest of the conversation. But obviously, you saw what happened with Force the Vote. Uh, the GOP, uh, led by a contingent of, I guess, what you would call the Freedom Caucus, were going after very specific uh, you know, concessions that they wanted from Kevin McCarthy. Ultimately, they were able to get just about everything they wanted. But the one key concession that they did get which of course is never going to be talked about, is the fact that they got a $75 billion military cut. Uh, That's pretty damn significant. And the idea that, uh, you know, you have people on our side, if you will, I I hate calling it sides because it's so ridiculous. I'm not on the side. You know, people that are on, let's just say, you know, independent left media who have been running cover for the squad for not enacting the same type of, you know, hold the line, concessions that they could have done in 2020 regarding Nancy Pelosi. They just got in line, just as they got in line for Hakeem Jeffries. Can you talk about the significance of what just transpired, the significance of getting a considerable reduction in the military budget? It's a little less than 10%. That's still pretty big when you think about it. And then- I don't see so-called progressives fighting for that. I don't see the progressive caucus fighting for that. So you know what? So now look who's getting to be the good guys in this whole thing. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Uh, I, I th- and, and I don't think that this uh, this PR cover that a lot of them are running for them is going to last very long because people get restless out there as far as I can see. Um, again, I think it's partially try- trying to stay out of the weeds. Um, but uh, there's also a lot, you know, if you're wondering why the squad didn't get criticized more or why they weren't able to, to um, extract more out of their time and, and control the house. Um, the, and this is one of my big problems with cable news and polarized news environment. There's no anti-Democrats Democrats really of any form at MSNBC. You know, you're, you, as everybody kind of goes into their, their own corner, there's no appetite to, to there is so that is the one place where you should have a, a, a full-throated debate about some of these topics, right? You know, it and have the politicians on, the representatives on, who are, you know push certain policies or have you know 
experts on who needs policies to talk about it, they never want to seem like they're criticizing a Democrat. So they're going to shy away from that. So where are, where is that conversation going to happen? Um, it just, and it just doesn't. And that's and again, it's it's because they're trying to appease the audience, you know, um, uh, and you know they feel like the audience is going to turn away if you're if you're being somewhat negative about Democrats or you know, on MSNBC, and. So they just kind of scase that and turn their focus instead onto, you know, whatever Matt Gates might have said that day um, or Ted Cruz. You know, it's easier to, to pick on, on the, the evil than to, to, to dig down have a real substantive com, com, conversation. Um, where, uh, you know, these people um, may not be doing the right things for the, for the right or wrong reasons. And... They don't want to get into that. They don't want to, they want to offend um, their audience that way. Yeah, that's what's so frustrating to me is that supposed news shows are teams. They're on teams. This, this is ridiculous to me. Like the fact that, that the news is catered to what the audience wants. Like I'm thinking of like Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite and I went to J school. Like I thought like, and, th- and this is what, people consider news. You know, I feel like the news flash people is that if the news is catering to what makes you feel good, it ain't news. <laughs> like that, that should be like a pretty eye-opening thing. Like this is ridiculous to me. It is. And the thing is, um, it, uh, there was a study during the election in 2020 and it, the results came out last year. Um, they, sat a group of hardened Fox viewers in front. They had them watch CNN for a month, like a significant number of hours of CNN um, throughout the month. And I think it was, it was either August or September or might've overlapped both months um, in 2020. So there was a lot of coverage of Donald Trump. There was a lot of coverage of Biden. And through that period, these people who you think wouldn't change their mind about Joe Biden or about Donald Trump, their opinions changed statistically significantly. Um, yeah, through that month, so they did. They were harsh on Joe Biden um, and more harsh on Donald Trump by the end of at end of, of that month. And so, people can digest new information coming at them. They aren't just pre-programmed to, to be conservative or liberal, whatever that means in, in these days. But um, uh, yeah, and that, and that again is another threat of, of the media environment where we are. This, you know, again for me, especially that's driven by financial incentives. Um, it just makes things worse. We, you know, we would probably have this problem. You know, you didn't have the financial incentives at play, but that just makes it that much worse. Yeah, because people's both engine on retaining viewers. Yeah. So there's no independent um, news. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head, which again just comes down to money, uh, like anything. Uh, the they, news isn't supposed to be for profit. Well, right? no, it's, no, it's not. not. Again, people, you know, want to forget that you had Reagan repeal the Fairness Doctrine in '87, and then of course Clinton give you the Telecom Act in '96, and that. and that's the end. That's it. I mean, the you know. The Fairness Doctrine is repealed, and lo and behold, 
almost immediately you have Rush Limbaugh. The Telecom Act is passed, and then immediately you have MSNBC and Fox News. Immediately. Mm -hmm. So to Mm -hmm. me, it's just pretty clear. And then you think about in 1996, we had about, I think, 50 to 55 different media companies scattered throughout the United States. Today you have five. So that's a problem. That's, That's horrifying by the way, like that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. Like that is the kind of thing that's extremely scary. And this is the whole thing when people say, okay, boomer, and they talk about, you know, previous <laughs> generations basically just sitting on their ass and letting this happen in real time. Cause they knew what was happening. They knew that this was happening and they decided, well, you know, if it's good for my side, then it's good enough. And I'm not going to say anything. And now you're seeing at least one, if not two generations who are living through it at the moment who are scared to death. They don't know what's coming tomorrow. And it isn't just about the environment. It's the fact that their, you know, educational prospects are not what they used to be. We don't have tuition-free trade schools in the United States, much less public college, which we should have. And then, of course, you have people that are so thoroughly engulfed in distractions, especially on social media, that their ability to focus is not the same, or at least not in the way that it should be. And cognitive development, I mean, I worry about kids who get cell phones at seven, eight years old and the type of effects that's going to have on their brain and the way that they're going to be able to function in the real world. And, you know, again, this, there's, there's reasons for the societal collapse. It's not hard to see it. And the worst part about it is that on both sides, but I blame the Democratic side more than the Republican side for this reason. The Republican side, you know what you're getting with the Tucker Carlson's and the Sean Hannity's of the world. They're for the Chamber of Commerce. They are for, uh, you know, a libertarian style economy in the sense that it's kill or be killed, make it your way. Um, you know, you have some, you, you, have a, you have a movement that's building on the right, thank goodness, which is a good thing of, you know, we are dead set against monopolies. And you're seeing that fight happening more and more where they really do believe in the small business owner and the independent entrepreneur. That's great. But that's not changing the fact that you have the consolidation of power amongst corporate special interests, which run our government today. And there are people on the Democratic side who try to pretend like they're not as guilty as the Republicans are. They are just as guilty, if not more so, because liberals tend to claim that they're the smartest people in the room. And I can't tell you how many liberals I talk to, and they're the dumbest person in the room. You may read well, but you can't read a room or the street. And you that's may a big read problem. good. But that is a big problem. And they are the ones who are going to be the hardest liners for that change. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason that that's the case, is because they run all of the major cities that control the media. Whether it is New York, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, or Los Angeles, they are heavily, heavily invested in the neoliberal establishment. And as a result of that, the skewered opinion of the real world, especially in parts of Arizona, where you are, which think nothing like the way people think in D.C. and New York or even L.A., uh, that's a big problem. And I think that that is causing an immense divide in this nation. And that's not I I really don't see an end in sight. I think it's just getting worse by the day. Uh, Our focus is labor. That's what we're focused on. And I think that's the only way we're going to save this nation. That's my opinion. How do you see it as we wind down the conversation? That was a very big thing to say to get to that. Um, Gee, thanks a lot. What do I think about um, labor? Or I, I well, I, I will say, in terms of um, Democrats being on board with the system as it is, the status quo, there's no question. Like, why isn't this, you know, something that's debated on 
you know, debate, the debate stage, the state of our media, which is essential to our democracy. You know, I feel like it's, they, everybody knows what the problem is. And I know, you know, I've talked to hundreds of people over the last two years, mostly journalists, but academics and people invested and, and, um, you know, people who have worked in politics, they know exactly what the problem is, but they aren't putting this out as a policy discussion because I think they know how to use the system as it is to their advantage. And so why change it? Um, it, There are other things that they feel like they can, they can focus on, but, you know, climate change is not going, going to be addressed until the media covers it appropriately. Um, And that's going to take a little bit of creative thinking, you know, to, to come up with a better you know, programming that is interesting to people and keeps their attention, it takes a little more creativity than just sending a, you know, a couple of talking heads to the studio. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's, but that, that format is profitable. And so that's why there's no incentive to change that from the corporate side. And from the political side, no, there's no incentive to change it because they know how to, how to work it. You know, um, you know, if Nancy Pelosi can, you know, go into a meeting with Donald Trump and know that it's going to be something chaotic that is going to, you know, lead the newscasts that night, you know, whatever, whatever that might end up being, um, she can then end that story to her favor. And uh, yeah, that's a not, not a, probably not a great example, but that is what is in happening. And, um, I've been in meetings where U.S. senators have said, I know, you know, to the president of the network, this is what is driving your, your decisions. And that, that, that person was a presidential candidate at the time and knew that he was not getting coverage because it, because of, you know, it wasn't right well. And he was, they were, they all sat around that table nodding head like, yes, that's, <laughs> that, that's right. Um, and no anger. There's no like, pushback is that I don't understand why people are so complacent with with this knowing what's at stake and um so I can't agree with you any any, any more on that front I mean this is yeah uh, if anybody was going to pick that mantle you would think that would be the democrat and they haven't done it no and it's very I, I am angry <laughs> about myself so. Oh, we're, we're, we're all very angry about it. And of course, there's understandable anger towards, you know, the squad in particular and, you know, the decisions that they're making. Um, I, I don't know what type of a long game they think they have up their sleeve, but they need to understand that this is the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party. Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, Dick Durbin, they'll sit there till they're dead. They and- might even sit there once they're dead. It's like a weekend at Bernie's. I'm not. Scenario. I'm not 100 convinced that Diane Feinstein's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the problem. You think we can wait around another 10, 15 years for them to just pass on? I don't think so. Especially regarding how bad the economy is and how much worse it's going to get. I don't think people fully understand how horrifically bad of a decision. President Biden made, and we all know he didn't make it. He was just told to do it. He was told to break the union. The railroad workers were told 
you will not strike. We will break you before you strike and we'll break labor in this country just as Reagan did 40 years ago. So there really is no difference anymore. They can argue on, you know, the periphery of, you know, the wedge issues like women's right to choose like Roe v. Wade. They can argue about LGBTQ rights and things like that. But things that have no effect on the economy, the economic infrastructure of the country. So as long as we're arguing for things that are not going to infrastructurally change the United States, it's just a waste of time. And that's why at this point we have to get serious about what our message is and how we're going to be able to fight back against this. Because, again, it's not a mistake that the average age of a person who watches these channels are in the high 60s, low 70s. That's just the average. So when you think about people that are in their 80s and 90s that are watching this, they're not going to change the way that they think at this point. And they still capture a significant portion of the committed political audience. There's tens of millions of people out there who don't give a crap about this stuff, but the ones who do and think about it and live it every day, they're watching MSNBC. They're watching CNN. They're watching Fox News. And that's a very tough nut to crack. But I do think the younger generations are definitely getting away from that as far as I can see. Your final thoughts as we wrap it. Um, well, you, you touched a nerve there um, because I've had so many conversations um, with people who I thought would understand the problem, and I, I still don't know where they're coming from. Um, arguments with my editor about the influence of cable news. And I think they're, you know, especially um, among, you know, I, I'm going to say the liberal elite, there's a, this thought that um, cable news is dying out, TV news is dying out. I worked in radio for a long time. I've been hearing radio is dying out, but it's still here and it's still very influential. And, it, you know, the, the cable news audience itself on a nightly basis might be relatively small. You know, our, our hourly audience was generally somewhere between 1 million and 3 million people outside of the, the Trump years. Um, and that is a small percentage of the American public, which I understand, but it has this outsized influence because, you know, that's what's leading the discussion. You know, that's what people go home and, 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 and discuss around the dinner table. Um, clips get distributed and it, you know, it's going to be the most viral clips, um, that they, they're hoping to, to get traction. So that the, 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 the clips that, are you know the most inflammatory material? They're gonna. That's what goes out free to the to the public. Um, cable news is still very influential. That audience is old, but what is replacing it? And what as people move to their phones, they're still watching that material. So cable news might be distributed. Cable news quote might be distributed a different way, but the younger audiences are likely going to get that same type of content just on their phones or um, if this financial, if the incentive structure is the same, the content is going to be the same. So we have to have, you know, recognition of what is really at stake here, which is, you know, yes, the old generation is dying out, but we have, you know, you know the younger generation isn't necessarily going to save us because, you know, the, the, the system is still the same. And uh, they're, we need to have a better awareness of our responsibility as viewers so that, so um, the audience shouldn't just go to what they're, they're comfortable watching. They have, 
responsibility. Every time they click on something, they have to understand that that is going to make that topic clickable to somebody else. It's going to, you know, the, the algorithms and ratings all work the same. So whatever you choose to, to watch or read or click on, yep. that isn't just for yourself. That is what goes, that is having an effect on the entire population. So the more you, you, you really need to use some scrutiny before you click on something, before you sit and watch a certain segment about something, no matter, you know, because they're going to use that data to replicate that material. And so it, this is a two-way street here. You know, it's, it's, I can create, criticize producers, you know, till I'm blue in the face until the end of the day, but the audience also needs to understand their responsibilities as well in terms of informing themselves and seeking out information that is really useful, not just, you know, information that is gonna, you know, you know make them happy at the end of the day. Personal so. responsibility, who would have thought well, I, like, I don't watch mainstream media. That shit's toxic. I don't want that poison in my head. No. I haven't watched it in years. I don't think I've watched any of that since, like, well before 15. Jen ran for Congress against uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and this particular district has a lot of people who watch MSNBC. We did the statistical analysis. So it's uh, definitely <laughs> something that uh, if you're going to... But, you know, the amazing thing is, is that when I was managing the campaign and I was able to get we were able to have enough money to get a couple of specific spots up on, uh, you know, Chris Cuomo's show and, and uh, uh, Chris Hayes' show. And that got noticed. Like oh, there yeah. were people that were coming up to mm -hmm. her and say, so, you know, you got to you got to meet the audience where they are. And if the audience is yeah. where they are, you got to get around it. Even if you're not going to get a segment on Joy Reid, um, if there is a way to get the message to them. I mean, look, that also has to do with the demographic. We do have That's a true. much older demographic. We have an older demographic. We're in South Florida. So, you know, it really does depend on, you know, if, so for us, yeah, we had to be at some, we had to be somewhat present on where the old people watch. Um, but that like none of the young people would know me from that. No, not necessarily. But I think this conversation was very important because again, it really speaks to the need to continue to get the word out there about what we're really up against. What we're up against is corporate special interest, buying and owning our government and the message that is allowed to get to us because ultimately it's the shareholders that have all the say right now, not the workers. And when that changes, that's when the message on TV will ultimately change as well. So it's a long fight, but it's one that we're grateful that you're in. Sharing this information is vital. Uh, it can only come from somebody who actually was there because credibility is everything. Everyone just assumes they know, but they really don't. And that experience obviously is something that you can really lean on and hopefully inform even more people. And Ariana, <laughs> if there's any uh, any final thoughts that you have, uh, and if, well, of course, where people can reach you, uh, if you have any contact uh, info that you would like to leave before you go. Oh, sure. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking up this topic. I'm I'm excited anybody does um because the more you talk about it the more people do become aware and you know they might you know carry that with them um in their day and, and it might make a difference um it's going to take some a radical pretty radical change um to happen uh i have a website arianabacari.net you can contact me through that that there's a contact page there um I welcome anybody with any ideas or thoughts or reactions. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And I'm on Twitter. You know, my handle is uh, Ariana Picari. Um, those are my, probably my, my main um, points of communication. Um, 
And again, thank you for, for having me. No, thanks for chatting. Next time, we're going to have you chat when you're somewhere with really good internet. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Sometime when you're like, you know, back in civilization and you don't get eaten up by the vortex of the universe. Well, the last 15 minutes were pretty spots. Although if I were there, I'd never leave. Like I'd never come back here. I don't, I I don't understand why anybody wouldn't want to be in a place like that. Yeah, it's amazing. Florida's either you want to live or you want to, you want to stay or go. Yeah. I did have to do the unplug um, you know, for my mental health <laughs> sake. Yes. But yeah, I am going to have to come back to the grid um, sooner rather than later. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Ariana. Ariana. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Good luck with Take everything. Care. Appreciate it. So we, we need to address this bootlicker thing. Okay. And, and here's what I'm thinking we should do. We could bring back bootlicker and do it like as something quick in the first few minutes and not have it as something that's like a big thing. I feel bad. Like if people want to see a bootlicker, we should have a bootlicker. But I did kind of want to share. Got to um, give the audience what they want. What are right? you doing? I'm just checking something. I know, but I, it's distracting really nice. It's not good for me. So I think that I, what I have queued up, guys, is something that was really interesting that I saw on More Perfect Union. Um, I think it's important video. So I think we should just play it. All right. That's my thought. Can you do that? Yes. Yeah. I like to promote their stuff, but guys, this is important and, and no one's They're not going to be covering this on, on mainstream media. You need to play. Yeah. Imagine you're a newly unionized Starbucks barista discussing whether to strike. You've got lots to think about, but what you probably wouldn't expect to have to consider is whether your union busting boss, Howard Schultz is going to sue you for the impact of your strike on Starbucks for the coffee that gets wasted or milk that goes sour or lost revenue from customers who get tired of waiting in line. But if a Seattle concrete mixing company and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce get their way before the Supreme Court this year, that's the crazy position that American unions are going to be in if they want to strike. And it could be devastating for workers everywhere. The case the Supreme Court is considering is called Glacier Northwest versus International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local Union 174, and here are the facts. After months of contract negotiations, cement mixers at Glacier Northwest decided to go on strike. They drove their trucks back to the company's headquarters and walked off the job. Workers left trucks that had already been loaded with cement running so that the cement wouldn't instantly harden inside the truck's drums. The strike lasted one week before the companies reached agreement on a new contract. The issue in this case revolves around what happened next. The employer sued the Teamsters for tortious destruction of the company's property. Glacier asked a Washington state court to make the Teamsters pay for damage to their trucks as a result of cement hardening after the strike began. The Washington State Supreme Court threw out the case, finding that it wasn't appropriate to apply state law to a labor dispute covered by a federal law, the National Labor Relations Act. The state Supreme Court's decision rested on long-standing U.S. Supreme Court precedent that the National Labor Relations Board decides whether union conduct is protected by federal law or not. This should have been the end of the story. Unfortunately, it wasn't. As we've seen with the supercharged conservative majority currently sitting on the Supreme Court, no precedent is safe. To date, the Supreme Court has recognized the importance of the right to strike and allowed state law to sanction strike activity only when a union's behavior is so egregious that striking workers have lost the protection of the federal law. Think violence on the picket line 
or obvious vandalism at the employer's place of business. But in this case, there are no allegations of violence, and the drivers even tried to mitigate harm to the trucks by leaving them running. Bottom line, it shouldn't be the union's job to make it as easy as possible for an employer to weather a strike. The whole point of a strike is to create an economic union. But even if this was a close case on the facts, which it isn't, the Supreme Court still had no business hearing it. It's the job of the NLRB to decide if strike behavior is egregious or not. So why is the Supreme Court getting involved to open the door for companies to sue unions that strike? Because this court has shown a sustained hostility to workers' collective bargaining rights. Just a few years ago, it reversed decades of precedent to make it harder for public sector unions to collect dues. And two years ago, it made it impossible for union organizers to talk to farm workers in the fields of California. And now conservatives are plotting to make it easier for wealthy corporate bosses to be able to sue union employees just for asserting their constitutional right to strike. At a time of historic levels of worker organizing and public support for unions, it is exactly the wrong time for the Supreme Court to make the right to strike harder than ever for workers to exercise. But for the Roberts Court, it seems to always be time to side with corporate employers' efforts to undermine workers' rights. Anyway, I thought that was great. And what really concerns me about this lawsuit, um, it's very uh, what what they were saying about it's it's supposed to be damaging for a strike to happen financially. That's the point of the strike. Now, I understand what they're saying as far as there were damages. But the big question is, um, does the fact that they tried to mitigate by leaving the cement trucks on and, and quite honestly, for me, the NLRB, like their position should be, unless it was intentional destruction of property, that this should just be par for the course of the strike. There should not be any individual liability outside of criminal, um, intentional, you know, violence or, or vandalism or whatever. So for me, that's how it should go. But this is a concerning case and this won't get coverage, people. It's just not sexy enough, but it's really important. They're slowly but surely making, you know, I kind of take it as a compliment, sort of like how when somebody nasty comes on and says something mean, it's like, yeah, well, obviously I'm getting under your skin. I kind of think the same thing about the labor. Like they're, they're going so hard to stifle the labor because obviously they're getting really concerned about it. So those things are both true. I just think we need to be cognizant. Yes, very much. Um, I do think that the reason they're pushing back so hard is because they know that they're running out of ways to stop it. And that's really what it's about. You can imagine that Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks, was probably crying bloody murder. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, Howard Schultz, who ran for president on the Democratic Party side, uh, (laughs) he really must have. I mean, think about how much. Well, why wouldn't that make sense? No, it does. Because it, Biden just crushed labor on as a Democrat. Just, yeah. just crushed it. Just thought, nah, nah. Good luck to getting labor voters out to vote for you. Good luck in not losing them to anybody who is a, who is a populist salesman on the right. Good luck. Like, no, that's like, the they problem. They will be punished. But the problem is, is that it will also punish the workers or whatever left uh, leverage they have. And when you think about people who are just not willing to fight at this point, 
it's just sad. But, you know, again, you either die on your feet or you live on your knees. Make a decision because that's how it's coming at this point. Either going to stand up for yourself or you're not. And far too often people are not willing to stand up for themselves. They're kind of looking for somebody to direct them. Hey, Jesse. You're not our usual Jesse, but I do appreciate Jesse Sanders, friend of the show. Uh, I just meant our personal friend, Jesse. We have a friend, Jesse. uh, I do think that, look, we would be amiss not to talk about, obviously, what's been going on. Uh, Friends of the show, Sam Cedar and Ryan Grimm, obviously, are friends with the squad. Uh, They have direct lines to pretty much all of them, especially AOC. And they obviously have run cover for them regarding what has happened with Force the Vote, which led to Kevin McCarthy becoming the speaker, but with considerable concessions coming for the GOP. Now, I actually wrote down specifically what those concessions are. It's pathetic that this is how we're getting things is from the Matt Gates. So we're getting anything done because of Matt Gates and his contingency. That's not promising to me. Like that's pathetic. And and I and I'm supposed to, you know, it's like I can't hate on that. And what and, and who were the Democrats voting for? Hakeem Jeffries? That's not a solution to anything. How does that help anything? According to Zero Hedge, the conditions that were made, uh, as has been reported, it is a Jeffersonian motion. How about that? Remember, Thomas, if you want to know, if you guys want to know the history of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, it stems from two of our founding fathers. The Democratic Party was basically founded by Alexander Hamilton, who believed in a strong central government. And the Republican Party was founded by Thomas Jefferson, who believed in a decentralized form of governance. And so according to the Jeffersonian motion, as is reported by Zero Hedge, it will only take a single congressperson acting in what is known as a Jeffersonian motion to move to remove the speaker if he or she goes back on their word or policy agenda. How about that? You actually have to do the will of the people. Now, nah, that's a foreign concept on the Democratic side. We're not going to have that. Number two, a church style committee will be convened to look into the weaponization of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and other government organizations. I agree with that. Also not a bad plan. Presumably the CIA, the subject of the original church committee against the American people. Number three, term limits. Oh, how Democrats would never put something like that in. You know what? It's like it's getting harder and harder to be against those people on that side. Like, how are you doing that? will be put up for a vote. I look forward to that vote. Oh, it won't pass, mind you. But we'll get to really see who's who. Bill number four. Bills presented to Congress will be single subject. You know who the... uh, uh, Let me finish. Bills presented to Congress will be single subject, not omnibus, with all the attendant earmarks... And there will be a 72-hour minimum period to read them. You know who this sounds like? On the GOP side, it sounds like Thomas Massey. And on the Democratic side, this sounds like how Alan Grayson used to do business. Alan Grayson would write a bill that was no longer than three or four pages that everyone could understand And you would have to understand the bill before it gets to the committee floor and ultimately put up for a vote. 
That is a great idea. Well, they generally don't read their stuff at all. Like I remember when the Patriot Act passed, they none of them read it. None of them read it. It, it, it was. It, they don't. They don't read. The omnibus bill was forty-two hundred pages long, and I guarantee you, not one person, not one, read the whole thing. I won't even read that. Number five, the Texas border plan will be put before Congress from the Hill. The four-pronged plan aims to complete physical border infrastructure. My big, beautiful world will finally Look, let be them completed. have. Let them vote on it. Whatever. This is just to bring things for a vote. Fix border enforcement policies. We all know what that means. You want to look for a bad caveat? That means more ICE. That's what it means. Well, again, it's just bringing it for a vote. Correct. Enforce our laws in the interior. Again, that's, you know, jargon. And target cartels and criminal organizations. Legalize all drugs. And wait, that, wait, wait. Is that in their thing? No. But when you say target cartels, and criminal organizations. Oh, I got so excited. I was about to say, that's it. I have to be with Just you legalize all drugs. Well, and you, you know decriminalize who, it. Or decriminalize, decriminalize all drugs. About. And you know who would agree with that? Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. Maybe you should move to Kentucky. Uh, no. Um, no. You have a comment you wanted to make? Well, I'm just, it's, it's just really frustrating to me that our like that we don't see Democrats doing that. You know, it's, this is exactly what the whole big force to vote was. Now they were obviously specifically wanting it for single payer healthcare, Medicare for all. But I think the bigger issue is that the Democrats don't seem to do it for anything. Like it isn't that they didn't do it for that. It's like, do they even get concessions? What is the point of a progressive caucus? What is the point of a squad? What is the point of a group or a contingency if, if you're, you're not, not going to do anything? If you're not going to hold votes together, the whole point of being a contingency is to hold hold your you know hold strong together and not give your votes. That's the whole point. So yeah, I did support the idea of force the vote. I always support the idea of force the vote because every single vote should have to be earned and every single person should be fighting for everything they can get. So yeah. And if you were <laughs> and if you were on Capitol Hill right now, you would stand by yourself if you needed to. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have voted for Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> no. Six. COVID mandates will be ended, as will all funding for them, including so-called emergency funding. Uh I am against mandates. I think people, if they want to get the vaccine, should be able to get it. Although right now, if you want the vaccine, you got to pay for it. So there's that. But again, you're just, you're simply talking about things that they're saying have to be brought up for voting. Yes. Okay. So. Well, I'm, I'm in favor for all sorts of things being brought up for voting. Like I have no aversion to things being brought up for a vote. And then of course, you've got what Steve Grumbine would call the um, the poison pill of this, which is, of course, number seven, which is budget bills would stop the endless increases in the debt ceiling. Again, learn MMT. There is a difference between state and local versus federal. Yeah. There's macro and there's micro. Know the difference, even though there are our libertarian friends who do not want to learn that difference, but learn it because it's actual fact. Yeah. Just, yeah. The sad truth is that those all sounded pretty decent yeah, to me they all for the most part. But again, yeah. I'm in favor of anything. Being, uh, we should just always have a vote. 
I think the whole point of withholding your vote for speaker is that your contingency should demand whatever it is you want to be brought to the floor, brought to the floor. And it shouldn't even really require that, actually, because Congress is supposed to work that people, you know, build little groups and factions and bring issues to the floor and vote on legislation, because that's sort of the point of what they're doing. So the fact that it turns into this, we're going to keep you from bringing things up, that shouldn't be anyway, but it is. So I'm in favor of any and all contingencies of people using their vote to get things brought to the floor for a vote. Like that, that's complete. That is the whole point of any of that. We're, you know, again, they're not just having a vote on something. Meanwhile, we couldn't get our people, supposedly our people, to force anything. They just fall in line. They just fall in line. But I'll tell you what they did get. You know what they got? They got a speech. I don't know about a speech. Don't make me hear a speech. What is it? Who's it from? They got a speech from the minority speaker of the House who apparently could have become the speaker but didn't, you know because we got to lie to people because it's the only way. You know, kind of like how they lie that Kevin McCarthy could have become speaker over Nancy Pelosi in 2020. So in accordance with the new minority speaker of the House, Hakeem Jeffries, it's very, very important that we understand this. (sighs) Democrats will always put American values over autocracy. What? What does that mean? It, it's, it, you're not allowed to ask that question. It doesn't matter. It means it just, nothing. What are American values? Because American values should be democracy and majority rules, but yet that's not what they do. I don't understand. Democrats that. will always put benevolence over bigotry. Unless the other side is deplorables. Are you sure about that? You really want to go down that road? You want to know just how bigoted the Democrats are? Oh, it's not pretty. What cities have redlining? We should bring what up. cities have blockbusting? You know who? You know where that people. happens? That happens in democratic cities. I know this because I'm a real estate and agent. We should. That would be a perfect time to have somebody like Marcel Dixon on and talk about how the Democrats are are so good in terms of not having bigotry. My lord! <laughs> the Democrats will always put the Constitution over the cult. I've n- really. That also isn't true. The Everything. Democrats believe in the Constitution. I'm not saying the Republicans believe in it either, but the Democrats believe in the Constitution. And and over the cult, you're all cult. Your whole existence is cult. Again, that's 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 both sides. The Democrats will always put democracy over demagogues. Impossible. What about the Democratic primaries? How about superdelegates? That seems pretty demagogy to me. How about the way you put Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama? Bill and Hillary Clinton on pedestals like they're infallible. Oh, and now you can add George W. Bush to that list because apparently he's acceptable as well. And um, Liz Cheney. Oh, yeah, Liz Cheney. Can't forget about that. Yeah, we love Liz Cheney. (laughs) So let's keep that one going. Oh, she's going to run for president. Oh, please. Let me talk. Just do it for fun. Nothing is going to be more entertaining than the 24 Republican primary. I... I can't like well, I, who says that she's going to run as a Republican. I didn't even say that. I was saying that she's going to run. Oh no, no, no! You just spawned me to think of what the circus in twenty four of people running will look like. Okay, this one is really going. Oh, to, you think she would run as a Democrat? Oh, this is going to get even worse. Economic opportunity over extremism. What economic opportunity? And what extremism? You don't support a living wage. You don't support universal health care. You don't support a clean energy grid. You don't even you support just right to strike. You just crushed labor. You believe in endless war. 
and you do not believe in civil liberties. I really don't know what economic opportunity you're talking about. And and what you mean the jobs that you mean the jobs that Biden can I'm no keep the jobs that Biden is claiming responsibility for the jobs that came back as a result of the pandemic ending. You've got Larry Summers, who's Biden's right hand man, preaching austerity right now. Right now, preaching austerity. That we have to increase unemployment to deal with inflation. And everyone knows it's a goddamn lie. And I'm also curious what that what, what he means by extremism. What does that mean? Freedom over fascism? Neoliberalism leads to fascism. Well, basically, we could assume that all of his things, you're not, you don't need to not need to read all of those things. Oh, I'm reading them all. Really? Governing over gaslighting. Again, this is just- This is from his speech? Po- yeah, pol- po- politicus, pol- politics speak. Hopeless, hopefulness over hatred. This is just platitude. More sandwich. good platitude. I like that platitude. Hope and change, right? Inclusion over isolation. Ooh, that can mean a lot of things. I don't know what they're talking. It's just, this is just platitude salad. Why do we want to hear all these ridiculous things? Justice over judicial overreach. That may be the one so far that isn't completely out of bounds. Knowledge over kangaroo courts. That's kind of lumped in with justice who, over the, judicial But the problem is, is overreach. that who approved all of those kangaroo court judges? Well, that's true, too. Who didn't fight to get Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court? Like, you know, I'm so tired of the, the Democrats claiming somehow that they're victims of right judiciary. Liberty over limitation. Again, what does that mean? This is just mm. and the Democrats do not believe in liberty. Let's let's be fair. And what's the limitation? Then again, neither do the Republicans. Because I would either. say that somebody on the right would say the Democrats are much more into into um, limitations, much more into bans and mandates and those types of yeah. things. And it isn't so much. Those that, are limitations. And again, it's not working class Democrats that believe in this. These are comfortable liberals in the suburbs and the urban cities that believe in this stuff. Yes. Because for them, it's not going to inconvenience their ability to live. But for the average person, it is. It's going to severely hinder their ability to live. And so for them, they don't care, but they have the loudest, you know, again, the the Deborah Messings of the world have the loudest voices in the Democratic Party today. And that's a problem. Maturity over Mar-a-Lago. I don't know what that means. Doesn't matter. It's just a dig at Trump. Normalcy over negativity. What's what is normalcy? What is normalcy? The ability to put food on the table? No, they mean normalcy in terms of like normal civil decorum and politicking. They mean what is where we screw you behind your back, but we don't say it out loud and we don't put out mean tweets. That's what they mean by normalcy, where we just go back to pretending that everything is okay instead of saying it. Opportunity over obstruction? I don't get that either. What opportunity? Are you talking about, wait, are you guys suggesting that you're going to come up with a federal jobs guarantee? Are they suggesting that? How about even universal basic income, at least to make up for the losses that people had during the pandemic? How about that? You could try that. Well, I I don't understand how they're even suggesting that they're doing anything to help. People over politics. I don't, that doesn't mean anything. Quality of life issues over QAnon. Because all Republicans support QAnon? 
You there mean were for Democrats like, that got into that crap too. By you know, the way. for the couple of hundred thousand people out there that make up the, I don't know, 75 million people that voted for Trump. But, you know, let's focus on the 0.03% of people because oh, yeah. it sells. It's better to do it that way. Uh, reason over racism. First of all, reason is not, has nothing to do with racism. Reason has to do with whether or not you believe in the separation of church and state. And unfortunately, your example makes no sense whatsoever. No, no. I don't see that. That's sort of like, you know how they have things like, this guy needs to go back to like, you know, in elementary school when you're learning like synonyms and antonyms and which of these things kind of go together and which don't, he wasn't taught that properly. This is this like that doesn't make sense. What how is reason the antithesis of now? I will say that racism is ignorance. You know, it's it's usually funneled by ignorance, but reason is a complete I don't know. That makes no sense whatsoever. Substance over slander. What is that again? Substance over slander. You know how long he must have been reciting this? He didn't write that. I'm probably not. Triumph over tyranny? Tyranny. You could say tyranny, tyrant. It's tyranny. Tyranny, whatever linguist. <laughs> it's Understanding funny. over ugliness. Uh, yeah, this is just silly. Voting rights over voter uh, vo voters' oppression, voter or is it voters, or is it voting rights over voter oppression? What about primary voters' rights? No, that is not a thing. That is not a thing. What about getting rid of the dark money in primaries? Oh, no, they won't do that. And here's one that you have a lot of balls saying. <laughs> Working families over well-connected. I mean, the nepotism runs so damn strong in the oh, Democratic machine. That is so ridiculous. I can speak to that because it's true in this state specifically. It's true everywhere. Places. I mean, like, I think about, like, the Clintons, the Bidens, the Obamas. Like, are you kidding they me They deserved that? it. They worked really hard. Xenile over xenophobia? I've never heard that word. Xenial? Xenial? Xenial is what, how you would pronounce that, but I'm not even sure what, I, I don't understand what that even means. Yes, we can over you can't do it. He's just making stuff up. And finally, zealous, zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. Boy, he probably felt really smart saying that one. I don't even understand what that means. And this is the guy that everyone wants to tout as being some amazing, amazing leader. And they're all going on TV, all saying what an amazing speech he gave. Meanwhile, actions speak louder than but words. But that was the speech? Yeah. That, that was the speech that they're saying was so good? Yeah. Oh God, you guys have a really low bar God, for oration. I've got to say, that's really sad. Um, and they were cheering it. Like they accomplished and, something. And you're talking about the same people that just, you know, without any sort of concessions, just put their support behind him. Did they get anything? Was there anything that anybody discussed that they got for putting support behind him for his role? And not only that, but again, you know, the argument could be made, well, they didn't want to do anything because they're going to be the minority party anyway. So they're not going to have an opportunity to bring up legislation. It's just going to be more, you know, performative politics and anything else. Okay, I understand that, but you're literally just conceding everything. Who needs to say what will happen in 24 or 26 mm. or when the opportunity may come where 
the Democrats would have an opportunity to win back the House and what that would look like and why they aren't fighting for the things that need to be fought for. Do you know how desperate people are out there right now? People are dying. People do not have a way to make money. There's violence everywhere. There's famine everywhere. But we're supposed to believe that these guys are fighting on our behalf. They're not. They're fighting for their careers. And I that's just too bad. I can't believe they applauded that. Like, really? How, have they all just drank this Kool-Aid or something? Like, what is the deal? And I can't imagine that I would just ever be where I would just get on board with that without having something done. Katie Porter is considering running for the U.S. Senate in California. Didn't I say that? Didn't I say that, that's, that, that she should do that, that she should go for Feinstein's seat? She should. I know. There, well, first of all, Feinstein should step down. Oh, she, she should have stepped down uh, when she first started losing her mind. And, and I they think Katie Porter's, Katie Porter's best shot is going to be, um, you know, it, it's going to be in, in a special election. And so you think, oh, so is she, you mean that's what's happening? Well, that would be my guess because. Like she anticipates that coming? She anticipates that there's going to be a Well, the idea election? that she even floated that that notion. So you don't think she would just challenge her? Well, it would be 2024, but that wouldn't be for Feinstein. That would be. Um, so who is it? It would be oh, Alex Padilla. Al yeah, Alex Padilla. Uh, talk about a real, you know, lapdog for the Republican, a Democratic, that's it, Freudian. Well, good. Said. Katie Porter, you know, that would be great. Yeah, one of the only people that would really be worth supporting, would really do a, an amazing job. That would job. be really she's good. She's the type of representative who needs to be in the upper chamber. See, she's really the type does. of person that I would want to be speaker. Yeah. Like, that's who I would have pushed to be the person to rep, to be our speaker. You could, and again, why, why doesn't somebody, why would it be so difficult for somebody to say, speak, Hakeem Jeffries, with all due respect, but I want Katie Porter. I nominate Katie Porter. Well, because again, that's why I find it so ironic that that same person is talking about that they actually like democracy. And what do, would over what, demagoguery? But what really? would you have to lose? Honest to God, no what do they think that they would have to lose? Why can't you suggest somebody else to be the speaker of your group? Like this is almost as ridiculous as the idea of when we were in elementary school. You know, like when somebody wouldn't like allow people to choose teams or they whatever. This is how ridiculous. And this, this is sounds. the and this is the minority party. It's it doesn't matter. It wasn't going to make a difference well, anyway. But let's say, but it should be the same way, even if it does. I agree, it should. But you they should be able to nominate that. whoever you want. Like they couldn't what? even. But they couldn't even. They couldn't even buy themselves another two years. And then he, and then at the same doing, time, without anybody challenging or dissenting, it doesn't seem like anybody dissented in any way. So how do you, how do you say that that is not cultish? Like to me, that like that behavior is definition cult. You don't even have any factions in the party suggesting someone else might be good. Real, like that is how that, like, how is that not, I don't, I just don't see that as any sort of democracy. It's just that's cultism. I guess you're right. That is definitely one thing that she has done. She has definitely become a spokesperson for why. Well, you're talking age limits, not just term limits. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that there's arguments people make for both. It looks like we have been stood up by Gavin Wario. Uh, I was going to ask you. I thought Mario somebody else Lacks. was coming on. He was. Uh, I'll have to find out exactly why. Uh, very inconsiderate. Sometimes things happen, though. They do. Remember this, if you're going to 
make a conscious decision in terms of how you think you're going to fight on behalf of working people. If you think that the reason why not fighting is because you think protecting committee assignments is important, well, if Matt Gates has to basically tell people that the reason why he was threatened uh, by Mike Rogers, congressional representative from Alabama's third district, the reason why he was being threatened by him was to throw him off of committee assignments if he didn't get in line for Kevin McCarthy. And what do you think Matt Gates's response was? He said, who cares about a committee assignment if you're going to be here and not get anything done for the American people? How can you concede populist space to Matt Gates? Well, they um, they just conceded all of these things to that group. It's it's. I don't know. It, it, it's almost like they're just trying to look like losers. They're trying to look weak. Like, I don't understand it at all. It's weird. Like, I don't understand. I really no don't get it. And, you know, we saw what happened here in Florida. You, you attempted to do the milk toast, you know, split the line down the middle, neoliberal, democratic, you know, consistent, same old, same old nonsense and they got burned. It turns out, I didn't even realize this, Ron DeSantis won his gubernatorial re-election of Florida. It's the biggest margin in the history of the state. I told you that would happen. I told you that would happen. And you can I told you it'll be the biggest one ever. And, and, and so as a result, what happened today? What happened? Manny Diaz stepped down as chair of the Florida Democratic Party. Shocking. Which you could you could have obviously seen that was coming. Well, yeah, somebody has to somebody has to be sacrificed. And the truth is, is I don't know how much he really had say in what happened, or he was just a figurehead. I don't know, but somebody had to be sacrificed. And of course, on his way out the door, he complains, complains about it's everybody else's fault but his. Well, and again, if there probably is a long list of people, but at the end of the day, the buck stops there. But my my concern is that okay, so what tool is going to step in? Because it, it's not like they're getting any sort of like mission-driven, conscious They're going driven. to try to start the same thing that they did again, which just happened a few years ago. There were people that ran. Maybe they will. Uh, you know what, Rob? If uh, Carlos Guillermo Smith were to run for that, I think that that oh, would, that be, would be amazingly great. cool. That would at least, you'd at least get a fighting spirit from the central part of the state and a person, that who would be great, actually. a person who really fights on behalf of especially the housing crisis, which let's be honest, uh, it's maybe the biggest crisis outside of sea level rise or along with yeah, sea level Rob, rise. Yeah, Rob, put that state. out there in the universe. That's not a bad plan. No. I don't know. But I have this feeling that basically it's just going to be somebody else in a different, it's going to be the same thing in a different suit, in a different meat suit. Well, we'll see. I mean, there are people out there that are very upset right now, and that probably would be well-suited in order to step in for a position like that that understands that major change to the party, including some of its representatives, needs to change. Yeah, but I'm thinking about, like, the people that are the DEC people that we know locally. It's like none of the I, – I don't, I don't know who Oh, then I guess you didn't that. get the other message. I didn't see anything. Today. Ken Evans has stepped down as well. He will mm -hmm. no longer be the committee man of Broward County, um, and, he was the, and, he, and he was the good one. So – I highly doubt that the other person will step down. And I highly doubt that a lot of other people will step down because, again, the pride is greatest before the fall. And the fall is going to be great. And if you thought that DeSantis's win was the last of it, you haven't seen anything yet. It's going to get worse. So I'm with you, Jesse. I'm not, uh, Jesse, I'm not saying we're going to go there, but let's put it this way. We're going to get there at some point if change, radical change doesn't happen sooner rather than later. And while many people joke that so goes Florida, so goes the rest of the country, 
you may be right. You never know. But something is going to give. But if you are so inclined, and because you know you love our show, despite the fact that some people like to rag on the fact that we don't have as many people as Jimmy Dore watching us. I know. Please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a wonderful supporter of our channel. I would say that the world would be a much more educated place if more people watched our show We're instead, trying. Of, instead of that kind of nonsense. Well, maybe we should take some tips from Ariana, who's basically telling us that, hey, you know, it's if it bleeds, it leads. If you're no, not we know that, that but that's not the point. I was th- my we've point. Been get, we've been slowly growing, though. Yeah. We have been. It's been more consistent. My purpose is to be a very pro-information driven long-form podcast. And so that is our purpose. Our live stream just happens to be, we do it that way. Yeah, We never did this to be competing with people doing those like fun comedic live streams. Although we are entertaining, we should bring back bootlegger. For $10, you can get the Lulu sticker along with the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. We all know you guys want one of these bad boys. But if you're really considering being- Please don't do the whole thing. I love my tri-blend, soft as cotton, soft as butter cotton. You guys. Baseball jersey shirt, $25 a month will get you this beauty. We could use more patrons. We could. And your dollar goes further in Patreon. Patreon. Well, I think it's better, you know, then when you, when you do it um, through Google, when you do it through YouTube, it's just, they take their cut, which is much bigger than like the Patreon cut. And I don't even know all the numbers. Like I couldn't even tell you what it is, but I just know that Google is not really on our team in general. We really appreciate it, Jesse. And we know that a lot of it really just has to do with the algorithm. The cream does rise to the top and our show consistently on nights where we don't have noted named guests that people recognize, we're sitting around 20 people watching. Now, when we get some good guests, you know, we'll get to 60, 70, 80 people watching live. And that's nice. Uh, But in terms of really moving the needle, we need a couple of hundred people watching at any one time. But, you know, we really have no light to stand on. And the reason I say that is because our good friend Jordan Chariton at Status Quo, who has over 120,000 subscribers, when he does live streams, even if it is Ron Placone and Tiffany Desiree Berg, they're only getting, you know, maybe two, three hundred. Tina. Tina. Who did I say? Tiffany. Did I say Tiffany? Man, that Freudian shit. Uh, Tina Desiree Berg is, they they do great work. I mean, it's my son's girlfriend's name. Well, anyway, it really speaks volumes as to how much it sucks. Yes, Mario, and thank you for the reminder because I forgot to push that up. If you are so inclined and don't want to put your personal information. And you don't want to be monthly, by all means, feel free. Go to the cash app. Sending us a few bucks. You like our material. We try to have like you know, good content. We need to be, I think, a lot better about testing people's connections prior to actually going live with them and not doing interviews when the, when the system isn't good. Double K, you're the best. Good. I'm not sure exactly why I deserve two She's arts, crushing on you. That's I would sweet. assume that maybe there was something that I said or perhaps you like the fact right? that I said something negative regarding Hakeem Jeffries, which would have been nice if somebody else came out and said it. But you're racist. If you guys didn't see racist. our clip that we put up earlier, you know, Corey Bush, who we think very highly of, went to absolute went absolute ham on Byron Donalds, who was being considered for speaker on the GOP side. And she basically called him an Uncle Tom. And instead of actually going after somebody who is standing in the way of real progress, who has a chance with serious power on his hands, she will not say anything negative about Hakeem Jeffries, 
nor will any of the members of the squad. I just don't understand why they didn't ask for anything for their vote in return. You know what? When I when I remember running for senior class president when I was in high school. Did you win? And No. Oh, we'll go to you then. <laughs> I, I was like second because I, the person I was running against who ended up winning was the quarterback of the football team. You try running once a quarterback of the football team. But anyway, I would have won. My point is, is that when you when you are telling people you're wanting people's support. Why you, if you're the quarterback of the, of the of the high school football team? Do you feel that you have to go out and run for class president too? How much of a, and, and, and he ended up like not really ever doing anything. Of and course so, not. Of the vice president. But it doesn't really matter. We digress. So. I just remember like when you're running for people to support you, you're offering like people are wanting things, especially people when you're looking at representing a particular group, like people want things. That's how it works. That's called politics. If you just go and support them because they say so, how are you fighting for anything? What are you doing? What are you, what are they doing? It's so frustrating. I just, I'd like to know that there's even, it doesn't even sound like they're asking for anything for their vote. They're just like, all right. We'll get in line. And by the way, and how is it how is it a bad idea or disloyal to have a discussion as to other possible people? Talk also about, Democrats. Talk like, about being defanged. It's I just really rough. I I honestly, I I would be concerned for myself in this situation and being there because I just don't see how how I would be able to get along like this. Because I, I don't see falling in line. I don't see just offering up my support for somebody Somebody's without gotta, a reason. Somebody has to. Somebody has to step up and lead, and nobody who's there right now is stepping up and leading. I like why? To believe, uh, why? Because I think they're afraid of organizations like APAC, and you know the under. My understanding, and this is just kind of floated today, is that Hakeem Jeffries has a massive super PAC. Well, yeah, no, no. He's an APAC darling. They love him. And He's so he basically will sick millions of dollars on each of them in a primary if they get out of line. Okay. And so it's okay. there's not a big enough consensus yet now for them sense. to all get together. Makes sense. Now, if there were 20 of them that stepped up and said, we're not having this, Jeffries would be in, would be in trouble. Here's the thing that what I would do, this would be if I were there, I would tell people that that's what was going on. I would say he's basically threatening to primary people who don't fall in line and he gets money from, and, and he has his APAC he's just a bag, behind He's just him. a bag man. And I would, I would like honestly be Schultz. saying that. Like, yeah. that's ridiculous to me. So basically out of threat of, and, and, and APAC and DMFI are definitely the worst. The worst as far as going after any sort of buddy who would join the squad. Those organizations are dead set on anybody on the, on the left interfering. Um, anybody that would remotely think that, you know, Palestinians should have rights. Those people are to be smeared at all costs. Off rail. I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I would say that that's true for most of the representatives that are yeah. there. That is true. But if you are not, if you do not succumb to the dirty money, then how about if you don't care whether or not you're reelected? Well, that's the, and that's the that? argument and that is the fair argument that was made by Brianna Joy Gray. She did say, Alex, you're the one who said, I don't care if I'm only here for one term as long as I fight for people. Well, guess what? You're in your third term now and you're not actually fighting. People need you to fight. You've got millions and millions of people who follow you. Follow your every word, your every move. At least say what's going on, why you'd be saying, okay, I'm just going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Like, I feel like they just fall in line. It's the definition of cultism to me. 
Alex, tell people that there's no point in fighting for it right now because we're the minority party and we're not getting any say legislation. Say something say about something. it. Say something. Say we'll fight in 24. Even that, I think, is weak because the reality is, again, if the problem is that you're being bullied by PACs and PAC groups, that's the kind of stuff that we need to all be knowing about and seeing. That's the kind of stuff that you need to be pointing out instead of hiding from them and, and being scared of them. I am so tired of that. It's that's the problem. Rob, all I can say is I'm glad I'm doing the podcast and not watching the the uh, championship oh, game. Rob, you guys in your sports games. Well, I tell you, a lot of people are going to be arguing that TCU shouldn't have even been in the top four after they lost their last regular season game. And there's people who validly will make that case. And now the fact that they are losing like this. Yeah, they're going to they're going to get a lot. What is that stricter. Texas Christian? Yeah, TCU. Yeah, it's going to be really, really are you surprised. I knew that. No. You lived in Texas. I know. That's why I knew that. <laughs> on Wednesday, we will have on the directors. Um, I was going to ask you, you don't have who it is. You just have that. We're going to be talking to the people that are, made this documentary. Guys, it sounds really good. Yes. Uh, on Sacred Ground, which is about revisiting Standing Rock and what actually happened with Dakota Access Pipeline. We I don't really want to watch it. It hasn't been released yet. It's no, not being re released. So I can't even watch it first. No, so they're going to give us the 411 on that. We are getting an exclusive. I know, but I, I feel ill-prepared because normally I like to watch or read whatever it is. And so we can't. Well, I'm sure so, the conversation know, will be fruitful. This is a documentary that's being released on January 13th. Um, it looks really Friday. cool to me. Yeah. Um, and this is, I saw that like there's a whole cool cast of people in this. David Arquette's the bad guy. Wait, so it's it's a documentary or it's a it's a it's a historical fiction kind of thing? No, like no, what no. do you mean? How is he the bad guy? David Arquette's not a bad guy. No, he's he plays a bad guy. In okay, the movie. so it's fiction. That's what I'm saying. Well, but no, I thought it was a saying, documentary. Well, no, it is a documentary, but he's they're recreating what actually happened. Oh, okay. So it's a recreation. Fair enough. Okay, that's what I'm okay. I understand. Jen, the Dolphins are in the playoffs. I'm I they're am and, and let me tell you something. And they play the Bills well. <clears throat> I, we, I am, as a Dolphins fan, you know, we've accepted our fair share of like pain. Um, and, and I have to be prepared for said pain. Like I, I can only get so it. Yeah. I mean, like we've been, it, you think that like Bernie uh, losing again in, in 20 was like, was like a big thing. No, try being a Dolphins fan. Like that's, that's real pain. Well, I'm a Giants fan and I think we've got a great chance in Minnesota. So Minnesota. I'm hopeful, but I, see. but, and the other thing is, is that I've also seen some of the teams that are like the amazing, like, like Philadelphia, like there's teams that just, I don't care what your thoughts are on that. Like I've seen these teams play and I just know that the Dolphins are just not there yet. Um, but I am very excited. Like I, I'm always supportive. I have to be realistic. Rob's trying to And the Eagles you. look good. I'm sorry, but they do. Yeah, well, the Giants actually played pretty well with their backups the other day. I, whatever. Lost I'm by just six. saying. We'll see. The, you got to play the game. You play to I, win the I, game. With the exception of me hating the Patriots, and everyone knows I, I hate the Patriots. Um, for the most part, I just like watching good football, and I appreciate good plays. Like, I like watching greatness, and I appreciate it. And there's this whole new young crop of quarterbacks, which I'm a quarterback girl, um, that are, have been so much fun to watch for me this season. Like I've just been seeing stuff that I haven't seen in years. You wait till Saturday night when the, um, when the Jaguars host the Chargers. <laughs> that guy, that guy. Trevor Lawrence against Justin Herbert. <laughs> that guy, the, he's the one with the long hair. The, the, both of them. 
Okay. Uh, this is definitely like, you know, a quarterback groupies dream come true, but like that <laughs> kid's got an arm on him. He's the one who's like 23, right? Yes. Yeah. He is. He has got an arm on him, like something fierce. It was glorious. So I just appreciate good football. I appreciate watching greatness in all different things, except for things like curling. I can't get into curling. Well, curling is good for jokes. <laughs> That's so sad. And I don't discount the difficulty of curling. I don't discount, I don't discount that. I just, it's just not my thing. Make sure to subscribe, click the like button. Share, exactly. Hate do the all of those things if you can. It is certainly appreciated. Obviously, tune in on Wednesday at nine. We will have the conversation about on sacred ground. Again, that's revisiting. It's a revisiting Standing Rock. We'll see what happens with Gavin Mario Wax. Hopefully, we can reschedule that. I'd love to have Jordan on almost after that and talk about it because he spent so much time there covering that. It would be really interesting. Well, to you know his, what? We'll see. Hear if his want. take we'll on see that. See if he wants to join. That's actually not a bad idea. I know. See if he I, I mean, he join. actually covered Standing Rock, so he it would did. be really cool to me to have his take on this. If you know. So with that He's said, in daddy mode. We hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Obviously, uh, we are we're living in trying times, but the message will continue to build, and we are continuing to uh, cross pollinate. Cross pollinate. And so, yeah, I mean, we're really kind of working on building up a little bit of a network. I was kind of when I was talking to um, Ariana before, and I asked her like if I could wave a magic wand, and there could be like this independent network, you know, of people. And I, I do have in my mind how that could happen. I do. I, I can sort of see how it could happen. I just need to sort of get in with the right people to make it happen. But I can kind of see how that could happen. I do. Anyway, but that would be like, that would be a great legacy. Like if I could have any legacy, like if I could do anything that would like leave a legacy, it, that would be amazing, would be that. Would be creating some sort of like sort of, revolutionary fourth estate, bringing it back, like some sort of answer. Got to try somehow, some way. Well, that would be, yeah. I mean, that would be like the best thing I can imagine doing. See you Wednesday. Bye y'all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews, as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.